0: And
1: Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted, All the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having severely whipped Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by mocked him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So all the chief priests with their scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down and Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last he said truly this man was the son of God and when evening had come since it was the day of preparation That is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. He took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph... a linen shroud and taking him down wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb
0: How do you handle silence? Some of us a lot better than others because from my vantage point, here's what I'm seeing. We were silent for about a minute. And already in your seats, some of you are squirming thinking this is not what I signed up for when I came this morning. Some of you got nervous Some of you are smiling back at me going, what are you doing up there? How do you handle silence? How do you handle silence when God is silent towards you? When the things you've been praying for, when the things you've been hoping for, the dreams that you have, all of a sudden everything seems to be in chaos and everything is falling apart and you look up. And the one person or the one God who is supposed to answer doesn't. How do you handle that moment? What does it look like when everything is falling apart and the one that you put your hope in, it looks like he's no longer there? Between the agony of Friday, we heard a little bit of what happened on Friday with Jesus' passion and his crucifixion. And Sunday, which we celebrate today, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen. We celebrate and we're joyous and we're, so, we're happy, and that's what makes us Friday and, Friday and Sunday define who we are as children of God. We define who we are as Christ followers. But there's a day in between that we often don't talk about, And that's Saturday. And there's a reason we don't. Because we're uncomfortable with silence. We're uncomfortable with silence. When I was in college, a mentor of mine, he taught me this little trick. And for some of you counselors in the room, you know this. When you're in a conversation and suddenly you go quiet, the other person tries to fill in that moment of silence with something that they, wanted, that they didn't plan to say or they just will jump in because we're uncomfortable and you have those moments, you've had conversations where the other person's not talking and suddenly you're like, I need to say something, someone say something and you jump in and say it because we're uncomfortable with silence. Not much is known about what happened on Saturday between the crucifixion and the empty tomb. Scripture gives us a few a few clues and a lot of material that was written around that time kind of gives us an idea of what happened. The gospel writers talk about the, talk about the Pharisees and they talk about the chief priests and the leaders. They were already starting to scheme. They were already starting to plot because they know that there, something else could arise from what happened the day before. Excuse me. They had just put to death one of the most polarizing figures in their time, because just as, as just a week ago there were people marching into town as Jesus rode on the back of a donkey. They were all marching into town, screaming "Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna!" They were putting their cl- uh, taking off their coats and laying them on the floor, and this uh, this king is riding in, and they're all screaming "Glory to God." And within a few days, they had managed to turn them around, and now they're screaming, crucify him. Perhaps this crowd that so quickly turned on Jesus might even turn on them. So they're they're already putting things into place, and they ask Pilate, saying, Pilate, can you post guards at the the tomb so no one can get in and no one can get out? Pilate, I wonder what he was... doing on Saturday because on Friday he had washed his hands clean and he said, I don't want anything to do with this. Did he feel the guilt and did he feel the pain of what happened on Friday? Or let's think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. As she stood helpless, as she stood hopeless in front of the cross, and as she stood and she watched people as they hurled insults at her son, as they beat him to an inch of his life, as they, as they drew blood, as they crucified him, as they pierced his side, she watched his son give up his last breath. What was Mary feeling like? What was that loss on the day after? Or perhaps even the disciples. Jesus had accurately predicted, and he told the disciples, he he tells them this You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. During the crucifixion, we hear the account of John at the cross, but where's everybody else? People who had followed Jesus through thick and thin. Suddenly, not there. They were all scattered. Where were they? Did they all finally go get, gather back together? Did Peter come back into the fold? Did all of these people who had done all these things, did they come back? Were they in hiding? What, what's happening? With all these questions in mind, the 19th century painter, Eugene Bernard, painted this picture, this this portrait of what could have possibly been happening in a room with all the disciples. And in this painting, the painting focuses on Peter. Peter sitting at the table, and he's got his head, his head buried in his hands. And you can imagine, we don't have to put a lot of words, but you can imagine the pain that he's going through. Because just the night before, just the day before, he had denied his savior three times i don't know this man get away from me i don't know him i don't know him what do you think peter was feeling in those moments as he as there was silence all around him he's crumbling under the guilt And right next to him, you see John. John, who's known for his empathy, is sitting there comforting Peter and reminding him of of who Jesus was. Or even as he's doing that, in his own heart, he is broken. Because the one who loved him and the one he had loved is suddenly gone. John was perhaps one of the closest disciples to Jesus, and suddenly his world has changed. Or James, also seated at the table, if you could see this painting up close, you'd see that James has this faraway gaze, just looking off into the distance and trying to figure out in his mind, what just happened? What theology, what words did Jesus speak that rationalizes all of this? What words, what explains this moment? Or perhaps Andrew standing in the back in the corner there. His, Andrew's known for his ability to invite people in. His ability to say, hey, come. I want, to, I want you to meet a person. Come and see. That's Andrew. Now suddenly, come and see doesn't make as much sense anymore. Who do you invite them to? What do you say? And all these disciples, as they're standing there somberly, they're trying to figure out what what just happened. Our world just fell apart. And some of you in this room, or a lot of us in this room, we may be able to identify with these disciples. Because we've gone through we've gone through Saturdays of our own. We've gone through Fridays of our own. Fridays were a dream died. Fridays where we lost a loved one. Fridays, especially in these last two years of COVID, where our losses were incredible, where our, where our businesses took a hit, where our finances took a hit, where things fell apart, where families were torn apart. The question is, how do you deal with the aftermath of that? Saturday is the aftermath of Friday. Saturday is where you're dealing with the broken dream. Saturday is where you're grieving and you're in pain for the lo- loved one that you just lost. You're in pain for the career that just suddenly got taken away from you. You're in pain for the, because of the injury that says you can no longer play the sport that you want. You're in pain because the dream that you had so b- built into your child, now suddenly your child has walked away. How do you deal with the Saturdays in your life? You see, the disciples are able to handle this because of the words of Jesus. Jesus, in John 16, he tells them this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is pointing to this weekend. Jesus is pointing, to his, directing his disciples to say, hey, know this, that you are going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations in this world that is guaranteed. As a Christ follower, there's no escaping it. You and I are going to have tribulations. That's your Friday. But here's how you handle your Saturday take heart. Take heart. What does it mean for us to take heart? Because some of us may be in our Saturdays right now, and some of us are saying, I, uh, my world is imploding. I can't handle this. I can't handle the silence. I can't handle not knowing. I can't, because for these disciples, they didn't know that Sunday was coming. They didn't know that Jesus would rise up again. Jesus had told them, he had intimated to them, but was their faith and their hope really real? How do you handle, how do you take heart? See, two things I'll mention quickly. One another thing that's written about this, uh, this Saturday in Scripture is this, that it was the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to his commandments. On Friday, when Jesus had been crucified, they noticed that Jesus had died Because what a crucifixion did was crucifixions were designed to prolong the the suffering. To keep them on the cross as long as possible so that they would feel the pain. But Jesus had already died. And that's why they were surprised that Jesus died. And suddenly there's this rush and there's this dash to get everything presented. Because in the law it said that a person who was crucified and died could not be left on the cross. For more than a few hours. And so suddenly they had to take him down. They had to put him. They had to wrap him up in the linen cloth. They had to put him in the tomb. It's written that the women, Mary and the other women, they ran off to get the spices ready. Because in a, in a burial, you would, you would anoint the body, put the linen cloths, and then put the body away. You would bury it or you would, you would put it in the tomb. But scriptures tell us specifically that they ran out of time. They couldn't get to the body in time because it was the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, here's, the, here's God's command six days you will work, and on the seventh you will rest. Six days of work, do whatever you need to, but on the seventh you rest. And the Sabbath had come upon them. God rested on the seventh day. In this moment, Jesus. Is quite literally resting. Jesus is resting from the work that he had accomplished the night before, from the work that he had accomplished the day before on the cross, the work of securing salvation, the work of bringing restoration, the work of bridging the two worlds he had done. And now he's resting. The disciples and, the, and, and Mary and all of the people, they have no choice but to rest. You see, so often when we come upon our troubles and our trials, uh, w- one of the ways we handle it is getting ourselves busy so we don't have to think about it. Or, get, uh, uh, or distracting ourselves. And one way we take care is to rest. He's simply saying, rest in him. Rest in who God is. You see, Jesus is able to do that because of this one commandment or this one scripture. And in, in the scripture, Peter writes like this He's saying, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Jesus knows what God's plan is. Jesus knows what the Father's plan is. The Father's plan is to resurrect him. And based on that scripture, he can rest, he can wait. See, so often people walk away from the faith, people walk away from their beliefs on a Saturday in the aftermath. And Jesus is saying, He's reminding his people, He's reminding His He's reminding us, Take heart, take care, rest in me. And in between a Friday and a Sunday, we're called to simply wait upon the Lord. To wait upon him in anticipation that he is listening. Because you see, silence does not equal absence. Silence does not equal no work. Silence does not mean that God is not speaking. We're just not hearing him. There is a work that God is accomplishing. Even as Jesus is in the tomb, as Jesus is in the grave, there is an action about to take. There is a work that is being done. There is salvation that's being secured. There is work that's happening in the background. God is at work even in the midst of your grave, even in the midst of your tomb, even in the midst of your Saturday. We may just not be aware of it, but he is at work. Scripture reminds us, Scripture promises us, and it's good for us to listen. The psalmist says, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. The prophet Isaiah says, they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And the psalmist again says, weeping may tarry for the night, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning.
2: I thought about giving you two minutes of silence up here, but... Really, really uncomfortable, right? That was a little awkward even that. I knew that one minute was coming, and I was still awkward sitting there. He's like, "Did he forget what to say?" I'm not. Sure. Didn't end on Saturday. Thank you for Pastor Marvin for sharing with us Saturday. Important day to think about. Important day we often overlook, but God is still at work. Amen. It's um. How many of you would say it's hard being a grown-up? Anyone agree with me on that? Oh yeah, a lot of hands going up on that, right? Got two hands going up some places. It's hard being a grown-up, right, sometimes? It really is. I'm uh, one of the, you know, you do a lot of things as grown-ups, you know, you didn't have to do before. One of the things I'm doing now is I'm teaching my son to drive or I'm trying to. He's a really good driver. I'm a really terrible teacher of people to drive. I didn't know this about myself. I've never taught someone to drive before. Now I'm trying to do it. I really thought I'd be better at it. Um, but it's one of the things you gotta do as a grown-up, right? You grow up and there's certain things you have to do. And sometimes you do things as a grown-up and you think you're doing them right and you think you're getting them right, and then you find out you you know something went wrong with it. You ever have that happen to you? Sometimes parents, right? You think, "Oh yeah, good, got that down." Then you find out you messed it up somehow. I read this story this week about this uh, dad in France, southwestern France, in a town, and he uh, he was this problem. He had two daughters, and he was really concerned about their internet use overnight, and he wanted to kind of shield them from that and protect them from that. And he was trying to figure out how to do that. Uh, and some of you parents know the challenges of that. Can you download a software? Do you lock it down? Do you shut off the Wi-Fi, but then they still have data and you know all the you know, things you go through. So his solution was he bought a device that he could plug in in his house that would block the signals in his house, would so block the Wi-Fi and the cellular signal in his house. And so he plugged it in, and he turned it on from 12, o'clock, 12 midnight to 3 a.m., which is weird hours for me. I don't know. Maybe it's a French thing. I would keep it on all night, but for some reason at 3 a.m. Uh, but from 12, 12 a.m. to 3 a.m., he had this signal blocker going in his house, and it worked great. The, the signal was blocked from 12 to 3. There was no cell signal, no Wi-Fi, and you know, his daughters were, could sleep, and they couldn't you know, go on the internet and all that. So that was great. Except that one day the police come to his house. And the problem is that his little blocker thing didn't stop at the walls of his house. It was blocking the signal for Wi-Fi and for cellular for the entire thousand people town that he lived in. And the police actually came to his house, actually arrested him. He could face up to like a several thousand dollar fine and 34 months in prison for this offense. So it's hard to be a grown up sometimes. You're just trying to do things right, just trying to help out. And all of a sudden you, you know, end up in prison. I hope that doesn't happen for most of us. I bring that up because talking about Resurrection Sunday, talking about Easter, I've had this thought on my mind this week: Easter's for grown-ups. I've had that thought on my mind this week. That I think that Easter's for grown-ups. I'm not saying it's not for kids. I'm not saying kids don't need the grace of God, the salvation of God, all of that. Of course they do. But I think there's something about Easter that's particularly important for grown-ups to get. Uh, one, uh, it's different than Christmas, right? I mean, Christmas is, I mean, kids love Christmas, right? When you're a kid, you love Christmas. I mean, Christmas changes things, right? Christmas changes the toy box. Christmas changes, you know, your school stops. You get a break and, and everything. I mean, Christmas is what kids are looking for, and they're looking forward to it. But Easter, I think in some ways, is for grown-ups. I was thinking about that this week when I read a devotional by a woman named Frederica Matthews Green, and she kind of tongue-in-cheek was making the distinguish- uh, distinguishing between Christmas and Easter, and she says this, It's that time of year again when school children are coloring pictures of Jesus hanging on the cross, and shop owners fill their windows with gaily colored cutouts of the flogging at the pillar. In the malls, everyone's humming along with seasonal hits on the sound system like, Oh, Sacred Head, Sore, Wounded. Did you hear the chipmunks version? Car dealers are promoting great big empty tomb-sized discounts on Toyotas. (laughs) Yes, it's beginning to look a lot like Easter. I mean, you don't see that, right? You don't see that all the time. It's different. It's different the way we remember and the way we celebrate and what we do on Easter. And I think one of the reasons is because in many ways Easter is for grown-ups. I'm not saying Jesus didn't die for kids. Don't go tweeting something. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's not important to them. I'm not saying that we exclude kids from Easter. We don't do that. But the issues that are really dealt with at the cross and the resurrection are often grown-up issues. Children just often aren't thinking about them and the truth is, they're often issues that we try and shield our children from. I mean, we don't often want our children not, we don't often want our children thinking a lot about death and dying and suffering and injustice and, and, and unfairness and some of the issues that come up. We don't often want them dwelling. If our kids are dwelling on a thought of dying, we get concerned. I mean, we want our children, especially our young children, to be able to enjoy their childhood and their innocence. And we try and protect them from a lot of these things. Not that we don't tell them about the cross. Of course we do. And the resurrection. Of course we do. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying as you get older, some of the issues that the resurrection deals with become more and more at the focus of your thinking. Some of the questions that it deals with. I read an article last week in the New York Times, Pastor Tim Keller um, was uh, giving an interview, and I know I, I, I often quote Tim Keller, I think, uh, I think he's a great pastor and has a lot of good things to say, but maybe I quote him a little too much, because my son Isaac says, do you think when Tim Keller uses his own stuff, he has to cite himself, and I don't know, maybe, that, maybe I do quote him too much. But, let me, uh, but I thought this article that was in the New York Times last week by Tish Harrison Warren was helpful. He has recently received a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. And it's uh, terminal, and his doctor said it's very unlikely that anyone with your type of cancer lives longer than a year. Uh, and so he's facing this diagnosis, and he's facing this, this next year, and he's thinking about what that means. And in this interview, he says this. He says, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, then ultimately God is going to put everything right. Suffering is going to go away. Evil is going to go away. Death is going to go away. Aging is going to go away. Pancreatic cancer is going to go away. Now, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, then I guess all bets are off. But if it actually happened, then there's all the hope in the world. But think about those topics. Suffering, evil, death, aging, cancer, These are the things we try hard to protect our children from having to deal with and think about as long as we can. We want most of the kids to have a childhood, but if you're a grown-up, these are the things that are often on your mind and often on your heart. These three days of this weekend... I think are important for us to to look at not simply as the foundation of our faith as Christians but they also I think give us a picture of what the Christian life is like that's what pastor Marvin was bringing across John 16:33 says this uh, in this world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world Friday in this world you're going to have tribulation you're going to have troubles you're going to have difficulties. And if someone told you that if you just come to Jesus and give your life to Jesus, your life is going to be perfect and you won't have any more trouble and you won't have any more tribulation and you won't have any more difficulty, you got bad information. Because <laughs> Jesus says right there in this world, you will have tribulation, you'll have troubles. In fact, let me be completely honest with you. If you decide to follow Jesus Christ and if you decide to give your life to him and and become a Christian and walk the ways of Jesus, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to have more trouble in your life. Because if you are going to live your life for Christ in a world that doesn't, If you are going to honor and worship God in a world that chooses to honor and worship themselves and pursue their own pleasure and make themselves God, you're going to be standing in contrast to that and you're going to have even more challenges at times. You're going to have even more difficulties. And even beyond that, if you're going to be a Christian who follows the ways of Jesus, you're going to have to pursue places of pain, not ignore them. I mean, what I mean by that is this Jesus, when he was walking this earth, he looked with compassion on people. He saw the hurting. He entered into their space. Whether it was a physical healing that was needed, whether it was a spiritual abuse that was taking place... Jesus entered into those situations. He sought them out to to, to bring hope and healing in there. And if you and I are going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to seek those places of pain. out. We're going to have to dwell in those places. We're going to have to find those places and spend time there. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have troubles. You will have difficulty. You're going to live on Friday. Still Friday. Here in this world in many ways. Then you can take heart on Saturday, but take heart, and I think Pastor Marvin did a great job just explaining that fact that sometimes we just need to wait on the Lord. Sometimes we're just listening, we're resting, we're worshiping through it, right? It was the Sabbath day. They they probably went to synagogue. They're worshiping through it, but they're waiting, trusting through it. But it doesn't end there because the Christian life is ultimately a hope of what happened on Sunday. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. Didn't start out that Sunday with a lot of hope. In fact, that Sunday started out uh, probably just the way Saturday ended. In fact, the, the women, Mary Magdalene and some other women picked up right where Friday left off. That last scripture that Justin read in the beginning said they they went back to their home on the Sabbath, but they wanted to anoint his body with spices and pack his body in the spices the way they would do for a dead body and take care of it. So they rested on the Sabbath on Saturday, but on Sunday morning when dawn came, that's the first thing they did. Mary Magdalene, who this woman who Jesus had cast seven demons out of, who had become a follower of Jesus, who uh, became a supporter of Jesus' ministry, she wanted to do this one last act of love for Jesus. She wanted to give him a proper burial. She wanted his body to be able to rest in peace the way it ought to. So she took some other women... She got all those proper burial spices and all those things that would, uh, you'd pack the body in. And, and she went to do what was, I mean, in many ways, probably an unpleasant task. The body had been in the tomb a few days. But make no mistake about it, they fully expected to find a corpse. In fact, the conversation on the way is, who's going to move the stone?" Because there's going to be this heavy stone in front of it. And who's going to move it so we can get at the body? That day didn't start out with hope. Picked up right where Saturday left off. But then as they get near the tomb, something doesn't look quite right. There's no guards they don't see. The stone they're looking is, is not in front of the tomb where they expected it to be. You can imagine the conversation of these. Do you see that? Is it? Does it look like it's, that doesn't, that doesn't look right, right? I mean, you see, it far off and then they get closer and they realize the stone is not over the tomb anymore. And in the words of Luke, picking up in Luke chapter 24, this is what Luke says happened next. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all to the rest. And then a little later, jumping down in Luke chapter 24, that same chapter as these now the disciples are together. They've all kind of been hearing these news. As, and it says in verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Now that last part wasn't just because they were bad hosts and he was hungry. It's because he's showing them, look, I'm not a ghost. I'm not an aberration. I'm not just some ethereal spirit. I am a flesh, bones, body, resurrected, living. I can eat. And Jesus is showing them, I have risen. And it didn't stop on Saturday, it continued on to Sunday. And they at some point I imagine Jesus' words from earlier return: I have overcome the world. And this is where we live. We live in a world where Jesus has died for our sins and been resurrected to life and promised that if we will trust in him, that we also will be resurrected to life. But we also live in a world that's still Friday in many ways. Still troubles, still tribulations. How do you reconcile those things? How do you reconcile a God who said he overcame the world with all the trouble we still see in the world. You don't have to look far. I mean, you can look just in our own city and neighborhoods, tragedies that happen. You can look across the world. How do you reconcile Friday and Sunday, still present, still being together? One helpful way for me to think about it is is uh an illustration c.s the 20th century theologian and author c.s lewis talked about when he was living through the second world war and he would see you know after the war had actually been won that he would notice he noticed if you were still living in an occupied city that the nazis still either occupied or still controlled hadn't been fully driven out yet You knew you had won. You knew that somewhere far off in a foreign city, a battle had been won and victory had been declared, but you also knew that you were still living in a place that was occupied and still experiencing many of the consequences of that. You knew you could have hope that it would not always be like this and that soon you would be liberated, but you knew also at that time that you were still experiencing the horrors of some wars or prisoners of war during that time who were still prisoners but knew they had got the news that their side had won, that they would soon be delivered. I mean, you can imagine how that changes your attitude. You can imagine how that changes your perspective. One day you're stuck in a prisoner of war camp with no hope. You don't know if your side's going to win. You don't know if they're going to lose. You don't know if you're ever going to get out. You don't know if you're going to see tomorrow. You don't know what the future holds. You can imagine that. But then imagine you're there, but you know your side won. You know victory has been declared. You know your captors are defeated. You know you will be let go and you will see home and you will get through this. Even though your circumstances are still difficult, you've got a hope now. You've got something that you hold on to that takes you through. I think that is very similar to what Jesus is talking about. Take heart, have hope, trust me. I've overcome the world. I've overcome your greatest difficulty the hardest obstacle you'll ever face. And that's our hope and that's our trust and that's why we proclaim this resurrection and that's what we believe that Jesus has done and what he offers to us. You know, I think sometimes, as I talk about grownups and I talk about getting older, I think sometimes we're focused on so focused on dying and so much think about dying that we forget that the greatest enemy is death. That you think about dying a lot more than you think about death sometimes. Here's what I mean by that. You think about how am I gonna die? When am I gonna die? What's it gonna be like? Will I have a disease? Will it be long-term? Will it be drawn out? Will it be quick? Will I lose my mental and physical capacities? Will someone else have to take care of me? Will there be indignity involved? All these things start to think. I mean, it's just natural. You think about them, And we think about them so much. That we might forget that the greatest enemy is actually not dying, it's death. And what we might forget is that Jesus already defeated that one. That there's already been victory on that foreign field. That it already got taken care of. And that if you will put your faith and your trust in God, that you do not have to fear that. That is the message of Sunday. And it turns these disciples into some guys possibly sitting in a room lost, not knowing what happened, not knowing what's going to happen next, not knowing what the last three years all meant to guys who will go out and they will give their lives for the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And Sunday for us means that there is hope. Tim Keller at the end of that article, he says this. He says, I do think that the great thing about cancer, I had to stop at the end of that phrase. I said, did I read that right? And I said, I had to go back. Yep, The great thing about cancer is that Easter does mean a whole lot more. Because I look at Easter and I say, because of this, I can face anything. In the past, I thought Easter as a kind of optimistic, upbeat way of thinking about life, and now I see that Easter is the universal solvent. It can eat through any fear, any anger, and despair. I see it as more powerful than ever before. In this world, you will have troubles, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. This is your hope. And as we close uh, this morning and as we prepare for the team to come, I just want to take a moment to just ask you, what do you do with the pain in this world? What do you do with the hurt that you experience? What do you do with all of that around you? Where is your hope? Do you just try harder to make things a little better? Do you try and ignore it? Do you try and deny it? Do you try and forget about it? The hope that Jesus offers is that you can go through it with a hope in him, with a trust in him. This is the message of this weekend. I don't want to complicate it. I don't want to make it difficult for you to understand. This is the message of this weekend, that God loves you, that God did not want eternity without you, that even though we sinned, even though we messed up, and I don't, I'm not going to go into all that because I think we all know it. I think we all know we've fallen short. I think we all know at times we've missed the mark. At times we've done things we know we shouldn't have done. We've left undone things we know we shouldn't have left undone. We've sinned. We've missed the mark. It's not just out there. It's in here. And the message of this weekend is this that in order to cover that, in order to pay for that, in order to take care of that, you and I couldn't work our way out of it. God sent his son to give his life on a cross as a perfect sacrifice to build a bridge from us back to God, our creator. And if you will put your faith and your trust in Jesus, that you have that hope and that eternal life, life that starts now and continues on forever, that as you and I put our faith and our hope in Jesus that we do not have to fear death because he's overcome it. That as you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus, we can enter into places of trouble and tribulation and difficulty trusting that God goes with us and that we can trust that this whole messy world that we see is being renewed, is being is being. Uh, one day will be made completely made right by God. That one day, new heaven and new earth that will be made the way that God intended it to be. That you and I can have new life, forgiveness of sin in your life. And so I just want to ask you this Easter Sunday, 2022, when we're kind of back together in a way we haven't been in a couple years, maybe you're here because some relative dragged you to church today and you just want lunch. That's okay. Maybe you're here because you thought it's Easter and I probably should show up at church someplace and you Googled it and you found it and you're here. Maybe you sit here Sunday after Sunday and you've been here, but you've, and you've heard the messages, but you've never taken the time to really put your hope and your trust in Jesus. I, I don't know how you got here this morning, except that I believe God brought you here for a purpose. I believe God's given you an opportunity. I believe God is speaking to your heart and saying, will you accept my offer of forgiveness? Will you accept... The sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. Will you take your hands off the wheel and give your life over to my control? Will you trust me and put your hope and your trust in me? I don't believe it's my words that are really that important because if that is you, then God has already been pulling on your heart long before you walked in this room. You know God's working on your heart. You know God's calling you to himself. And so I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And here's why, because there's too many people in this room. And if you're looking around, you're going to think about what they're thinking instead of what God's thinking. And so just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment, because I just want to give you a, a couple minutes of sacred space with just you and God to consider these things. What do you do with this message of the cross and the resurrection? Do you believe that God loves you and died for you and really is waiting for you to invite you, him into your life to forgive your sins, but then to help you live the life that he has called you to live? Because if that's your belief and that's what you want, and you want a relationship with him, then it is he has not made it difficult. You just need to simply pray in your own words and in your own space and just tell him exactly that. That Lord, I recognize that, Lord, I need you. I've tried to live this life that you've given me on my own. I've tried to do what I thought was right. I've tried to keep my hands on the wheel and I keep messing it up. And so Lord, I need you. I need you to forgive me, but I also need you to come into my life and to lead me and be the Lord of my life. Lord, I want to follow you with all of my heart, soul, and strength. Lord, I want that life that you offer to me. And if that's you, you can just take a moment, just let the Lord know that. It's not any magic words. It's just being honest with yourself. And God, I believe, like I said, I think if that's you, God's already been pulling on your heart. You know it. You know He's been asking you. Or maybe you're here and you've been a Christian a while, but you've walked away. And this morning, you're just going to say, on this Easter morning, 2022, Lord, put my life back in Your hands. I've wandered off, but I'm coming home. And I'm putting my life back in Your hands. Lord, lead me. Lord, come into my life. Fill me. God, I thank you for not leaving us in our separation from you. I thank you that in Jesus Christ, you made a way for us to be back in relationship with our loving creator, God. I thank you, Lord, that you have done the hard work and you've simply invited us to come back to you. I pray for those who this morning have chosen to do that. Would you come into their life? Would you fill them with yourself? Would you lead them from this point on? Guide them in their steps. Lord, show them how much you love them and care for them and show them the purpose that you have for their life. Lord, lead each and every one of us in this room. Help us to know you more, to see you more, and to walk closer with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing this closing song of worship together?